Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. This is chapter 15, part 2, and chapter 16, part 1. And we'll just kind of see how far we get into this. A lot of great stuff. Chapter 15, short, 16, picks up some stuff. We're getting getting into some heavy stuff. Let's say a prayer. We'll move on. Father, thank you so much for your word, the book of Revelation. Lord, there's a blessing specifically to those who go through this book, who read this book out loud. And Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight, Lord, through this book of Revelation. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, let's jump into it. In part 23, we looked at the song of Moses and the Lamb. And if you'll remember, the book of Revelation has over 800 allusions to the Old Testament. And this song of Moses and the Lamb is one of them. And it really helps if you have a grasp of the Old Testament when you're going through the book of Revelation, as we have seen just over and over and over again, you have allusions You have scriptures referred to in the book of Revelation back in the Old Testament. We'll see quite a few tonight as well. This song of Moses and the Lamb that we saw last time was uh, awesome. There was a lot said about God's works. Great and marvelous are your works. God's ways, just and true are your ways. God's worthiness. Who shall not fear you and glorify your name? For you alone are holy and God's worship. All nations shall come and worship before you. I mentioned that you see the terminology, your, your, you, your, you, you, your, through this song. These martyrs who are are celebrating and singing this song in that chapter, chapter 15, those martyrs are focused fully on God. They didn't even focus on their own costly and glorious victory. They have the heart of true worship. They they understood it's all about God and not about us. We don't even have their martyrdom stories. You know, the church likes to venerate martyrs and saints and whatnot. We we don't even have their stories. We, We can't venerate them for their heroic acts of courage in the face of danger they are all about Jesus. They're just celebrating Jesus. I love that. That's so cool, man. You know, life is tough, right? We go through hard times. Sometimes we even suffer for our faith. Now, you know, it's probably different than what these martyrs will go through in the Great Tribulation and what martyrs in the past have gone through, but we still sometimes suffer for our faith. If we could just keep our eyes on Jesus... And not on the offense or the hurt or the difficulty or the criticism and just say, you know what? They just don't understand. They don't know like I know what God's done for me. And just put the glory, put all the praise and all the worship and all the adoration on Jesus. Then, you know, it, it, it helps us go through those difficult times. Just keep your focus on Jesus. Now, let's pick it up in verses 5 through 8. After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. 
And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So let's stop there and unpack this. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Now, Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, and then in the chapters of Hebrews, chapter 8, chapter 9, we see that the tabernacle that God told Moses to build was based on a heavenly pattern, on an already existing heavenly tabernacle. This tabernacle in heaven is the heavenly reality of this earthly copy, you could say. And it says, out of the temple, this heavenly temple, came the seven angels having the seven plagues. These angels are bringing divine judgment. At this point in Revelation, we're entering into the wrath of God phase. Talked about this. So many times we see the wrath of God as already being spent, when in reality it's still waiting to be spent. We've not seen the wrath of God. On the cross, we, we could talk about that, but there is a wrath of God that is yet to be dispensed. And so we're entering the wrath of God phase in the book of Revelation, which is in our future. We, we've not seen that yet. No one has seen what we're talking about except John in the Spirit saw this prophetically. It's significant that these angels with the seven plagues came out of the heavenly temple. And, and it signifies that they were coming out of the presence of God from before the throne of God. Which meant they were acting not on their own. Not coming in their own authority, but on God's behalf, on, in God's authority, in God's name. They were acting as God's partners, God's agents. And the fact that their clothing is described as pure, bright linen, and their chests were girded with golden bands, speaks of God's judgment being completely pure and righteous. In other words, this is not a capricious God. This is pure righteous and premeditated, deliberate justice that's being meted out. And Guzik points out these angels are not like modern anti-heroes or vigilantes who seek down to the, sink down to the level of the criminals they fight. I like that. They're above all that. They're on mission. They're on a divine mission like if you'll remember back in 2 Kings 19.35, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. One angel in one night. But again, this was not a vigilante. This was not a revenge like we're going to get you or I'm going to get you. This was an angel on divine mission. Nothing personal, strictly business. And so that's what's taking place. Again, not a capricious uh, God, but deliberate and right on time. Now we come to the seven golden bowls. 
Other translations call them vials, censers. They're really like saucers, okay, like shallow bowls. They were used, censers, vials, bowls. They were used uh, amongst the Hebrews ritually, like for, for drinking or pouring libations in sacrifices. For instance, at the Feast of Sukkoth or the Feast of Tabernacles as we know it, the sacrifices were accompanied, uh, at least in, in Jewish tradition, not from the book of Exodus or Leviticus, but, but in, in the historical Jewish setting with, with uh, libations, water sacrifices poured on top of, of uh, the, the animal sacrifices. But also, they were used to pour out fire or coals of fire on sacrifices. Joseph Sy says they are really shallow pan-like golden bowls or censers such as were used in the temple to hold the fire when incense was burned. Here's the point. The bowls were shallow, so the contents could be quickly and completely poured out. You know, so you get a little saucer full of water, it's easy to dump, you know. You're not having to sit there for a long time and chug-a-chug-a-chug. You just, it's gone, just like that. So it's, it's quickly and completely poured out. This tells us that when God is pouring out His wrath, it's quickly and it's completely. That's what's going on here. Notice, there was this cloud of glory that filled this temple in heaven so that no one could enter. Now, we've seen a cloud filling a tabernacle or temple. We've seen this before. We've actually seen it a couple of times in the Old Testament. The glory of God filled the tabernacle way back in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, so that Moses could not enter because of the cloud of God's glory. Now, that cloud of God's glory is often referred to as the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. The Shekinah, you know, Shekinah is not Jehovah's girlfriend, right? That's... That's the old joke, you know. <laughs> the, the Shekinah was a reference to the glory, uh, the glory of God, the glory cloud of God, often referred to as, as fire also. Uh, for instance, when, when the giving of the law took place, there were thunderings and lightnings on the top of the mountain, and the mountain shook and quaked. It was the glory of God, the, the, that cloud, the fire of God, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God uh, is what was, was taking place there in Exodus. Exodus, let me read it to you. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now later we see it again in the dedication of Solomon's temple. 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. 
Now, I think that's key, as I'll show you in just a moment. Revelation 15, 8 says that both the bowls and the cloud came from the glory of God and from His power. This is redundant, but it emphasizes the fact that God's presence and glory is all part of this devastating judgment. Again, these are things we don't spend much time on. We don't talk about the wrath of God. We don't talk about judgment to come. But it is one of the fundamentals of the faith. Hebrews 6, you know, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, judgment, eternal judgment, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. So it's one of the fundamentals of the faith, judgment that is, that is sure to come. But notice the presence of God and the, the glory of God is part, is involved in the devastating judgment that is coming. It's important to remember also in that Second Chronicles passage, in spite of the awfulness of the judgment that's taking place here in the Great Tribulation, it's still pushing forward the plan of God. And the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting. So as we're going to see, as these bowls are quickly poured out, as, as the fire of God's judgment falls, the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting. I just want to tell you something right now. The problem with, with, with mankind is not God. The, the problem is the fall, and the hardened hearts and the rebellious nature of human beings who refuse to bow the knee. And we do have a choice. The, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us because the Lord is good. Sometimes you can get confused as you dive into some of the judgment of God and you're like, wow, that's so horrible. We'll, we'll, we'll dive deep into it here in just a moment. But it's like, that is so horrible. But the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. I mean, he, he's patient, long-suffering, calls everyone. It's the will of the Lord that all repent, right? But everybody's not going to do that. And uh, it's surprising how hard the heart of man can become. We can toughen up, and when the judgments begin to be poured out, we'll see it. We can shake our fist at the sky and say, I will not bow the knee. But God's trying to get the attention, even of rebellious human beings. We'll, we'll see that here. The passage goes on to say that no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So this seems to indicate that the judgment now is irreversible. Nothing can stop it. So let's jump into chapter 16 now, verse 1. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Woo! Everybody go, woo! Yes. Verse 1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. Now, no one could enter into the temple. At this point, because of the smoke, the fire, the glory. 
But I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So, this is very likely the voice of God himself. God himself. He personally initiates these judgments. They are, after all, the wrath of God. He owns them. Guzik points out these bowls of judgment were mentioned in 1114 and were summarized, we, we talked about this for a minute, as the third woe. This is the third woe that is now starting to unfold. These bowls are chastisements and they are punishments. They are chastisements trying to bring people to a place of repentance. And they are punishments in the sense of dispensing judgment. They're taking place at the end of the Great Tribulation in the last three and a half years, right before Jesus returns to the earth to take over everything, which he will do at the Battle of Armageddon, which we're almost to. And, and this is, this, this stuff, these bowls, there's a, there's a parallel in the Old Testament that's fascinating. Again, 800 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. And so here we have a, we have a parallel with the plagues that, that Egypt suffered when Israel was to be, you know, jettisoned out. The exodus, we call it. So, we have the plague of boils, Exodus 9, 8 through 12. Water turned to blood, Exodus 7, 14 through 25. Darkness, Exodus 10, 21 through 29. We're going to see those parallel here in the book of Revelation with these, these bowls. Some have said that these plagues from the bowls are types or symbols only. They represent things, they're idiomatic, but to me, I, I, I can't, I, that doesn't seem to be the case, because if you make them idiomatic, it, 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 it brings such a conflict, and it complicates the passage so much. For instance, you would have to look at the earth in this passage as symbolizing something else. If the earth doesn't mean the earth in this passage, then it's impossible to dissect and figure out what is being said here. So I think these are actual plagues, and I think we need to take them at face value. Verse 2, so the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So remember we talked about the mark of the beast. You couldn't buy or sell without the mark, but it also involved worship and allegiance. We talked about that. Well, those with the mark of the beast now will have a mark from God. And I talked about how the mark of the beast, I used to think it was a tattoo or a UPC code or a chip or whatever. I don't know what it will be, but it will make sense. Well, the mark from God that they now have is not any of that. It's a foul and loathsome sore. So you got the mark of the beast and now a mark from God on those with the mark of the beast, a foul and loathsome sore. Have you ever had a foul and loathsome sore, right? Don't tell me about it. It sounds like the boils in, in the Exodus, one of the plagues back there. 
and they, they were miserable. It, it reminds me of uh, Job. Remember when Job got boils and he got pottery and he's scraping himself and he's just miserable and just awful? Well, well, uh, Lazarus and his oozing sores, sorry to be graphic, it's biblical reference, uh, but, but in, the, in, in, in Jesus' time, Lazarus and those sores, and the dogs would come and lick his sores. This is miserable, but this is a judgment from God. So those with the mark of the beast got a foul and loathsome sore. Verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. So again, Exodus, you have water turned into blood. Here you have the angel poured his bowl out on the sea, and it became blood as a dead man. Revelation 8, 8 through 9, described a partial contamination of the sea. We looked at that. But here it seems to become complete. This is absolutely devastating. I can't wrap my mind around this. It says every living creature in the sea died. Now, now this is at the end of the Great Tribulation. We'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but like, if that happens, life as we know it on this planet is toast very, in very short order. So here you have this ecological collapse uh, in the sea. Everything dies. And notice it says that it, it was turned into blood, but it says the blood as of a dead man. In other words, the blood as of a corpse. The blood of a corpse. It, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now, again, Revelation 8, 10 through 11, we see uh, partial contamination. A third of the water is contaminated, but here it's 100%. So here's the deal. Man is so concerned about pollution, right? Give a hoot, don't pollute. You know, polluting the seas, the oceans, the rivers. We were in Florida, and, and uh, the restaurants do not hand out plastic straws. You have to ask for a straw or they give you a paper straw uh, because the sea turtles and, and different things, uh, we're concerned about polluting the seas, the oceans, the rivers, the lakes, the earth. We're stewards of this planet. I mean, we should take care of it. But, but here's the point. In one fell swoop, God totally pollutes the whole thing to smithereens. So this has to be right before the Lord comes back, not in the rapture, but to set up his throne, as we've talked about, because with, with an ecological disaster like this, who could survive and for how long? Adam Clark points this out. This is interesting. Now, these are people, there are martyrs that are being killed for the cause of Christ uh, in this era. Now, again, the rapture, we saw that in Revelation 4. I want to go up. I want to be in the mezzanine. If I want to look over the balcony and see it all, I can do that. But, but I, I don't want to be here during all this. But there will be people saved during the Great Tribulation, and, and they are martyred 
Adam Clark points out that the people of earth thirsted after blood and massacred the saints of God. And now all they have to drink is blood. They were bloodthirsty. And we'll see this in the next few verses. Look at verses 5 through 7. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink. See that? For it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So here we see, again, they were bloodthirsty. He gives them blood. They refuse the living water. He gives them death to drink. This is not vigilante justice. This is fair, pure justice. It's interesting to note there was this other voice from the altar, which we saw in Revelation, back in Revelation 6. It could be the corporate testimony. This, this cry from the altar could be the corporate testimony of the martyrs. And from Revelation 8, 3 through 5, this could be the prayers of the saints. If you'll remember back in those times, we talked about how that those prayers were calling for justice and vengeance. Remember the Lord said, vengeance is mine, saith, saith the Lord. And so they're crying out for justice and for vengeance. Now this voice from God's altar could also be idiomatic or representing the cross. And the declaration is, your judgments are righteous and true. I'm not sure, but those are some speculations. You can go look at that, figure that out. In spite of all this, let me remind you, for the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. He's the Lord God Almighty. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He can do what he wants to do with it. As a matter of fact, he's going to, and he's going to renew it to the point, to the extent that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But it's not like he got rid of the old one and created a new one. But the earth, in a sense, and the heavens and the universe essentially will be born again. In the same way that I'm born again, or you're born again. I, when I was born again of water and spirit, Donovan Hill didn't cease to exist. It's just a part of me that was connected to the fall, to the devil and all that. Now I got offline with all of that and I got online to the living God. It doesn't mean I'm perfected yet. There's more changes to come. I'm not here to get into the depths of that. But what I'm saying is I was born again, but I was still Donovan. I could still think the same thoughts, do the same things. But I was a new creation in Christ Jesus. In the same way, the earth, the universe will be born again. Not in the sense that it will all be wiped out and God will recreate one. But he'll take what is here, I guess that is the idea, and recreate, renew it, regenerate it. Remove all evidence of there ever having been a fall. The Bible says that the earth groans. For the manifestation of the sons of God. 
there is this thing called the redemption of the body. And it's going to involve the redemption of this entire, the entire creation of Almighty God. Those are deep thoughts. Are you with me? Now, verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed. Notice, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. It's stunning. Think of all that's happened to this point. They have the book of Revelation. You could open it and see it unfolding before your eyes in the great tribulations. And yet, they blasphemed the name of God. And they did not repent and give Him glory. When I was a kid, my dad and mother took me to Jamaica. We went to uh, Montego Bay in Kingston. Stayed in this place called Silver Sands, these little villas. And my father took me out in a raft, way, way out. It was so cool, like emerald waters, and then it went into the deep blue, and you could see big rocks and stuff. Like It was awesome. I was a little bitty thing. Took me out in this raft, way, way out, and, and we stayed out there, it seemed like, all day long. And uh, my dad didn't put any sunscreen on either one of us, and I turned into a lobster. I never hurt so bad in all my life. It's a I love the beach. I love the sun. It's a wonder I do because I was fried that day. And my dad was in so much trouble with my mom. You just have no idea. You need to ask my dad about that next time he's here. I was toasted, man. I was totally fried, totally sunburned. You ever been sunburned before? No fun, right? You're, you're, you're putting lotion on or getting aloe, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm sunburned. Well, uh, it, it, it's pretty vicious. Now, I'm just going to tell you, no matter where you go or what you're wearing, when this angel pours his bowl out on the sun, you're going to get burned. And what is normally or can be normally a blessing, the sun, vitamin D, hello, it becomes a curse. And in spite of this burning, this scorching, this great heat, it is stunning. These people who are being confronted by a good and ever merciful God, chastising them, refuse to repent and give Him glory. As a matter of fact, they blaspheme the name of God. John Walford points out the wishful thinking of some that men would repent if they only knew the power and righteous judgment of God is shattered by the frequent mention in this chapter of the hardness of the human heart in the face of the most stringent and evident divine discipline. How many of you know if you want to rebel and disobey, you can rebel and disobey? God can be moving all over the place, and you can just harden your heart and say, Not today, Lord, not today. Well, that's what's going on here. Verses 10 through 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, 
and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. We got the sores again. And did not repent of their deeds. Again, some scholars have seen this darkness as idiomatic, a darkness over the kingdom of the beast. Uh, but, it, it, and it may, it may involve that to some extent, maybe politically or spiritually. But again, in the plagues of the Exodus, a parallel, it was a literal darkness that took place. Uh, we see it in Exodus 10. And verses 21 and 22 say that the darkness was so great it could be felt. So I believe it's a literal darkness, but it may come with a spiritual, political overtone as well, as, it, and, and probably very much a spiritual overtone. This darkness was palpable. And the source of it, uh, along with the darkness, you've got pain. It says they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, it seems to be a preview of hell itself. Jesus called hell, if you'll remember, in, in Matthew 25, outer what? Outer darkness. Guzik says, it's as if those in this judgment are standing on the shores of the lake of fire. And still, no repentance. Blasphemy. Stunning. Let me close with this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, Judgment may produce a carnal repentance, a repentance that is of the flesh and after the manner of the sinful nature of men. In this repentance, the depravity of the heart remains the same in essence, though it takes another form of showing itself. Though the man changes, he is not savingly changed. He becomes another man, but not a new man. The same sin rules in him, but it is called by another name and wears another outfit. The stone of his heart is carved into a more slightly shape, but it is not turned into a heart of flesh. The iron is cast into another image, but it's not transformed into gold. This carnal repentance is caused by fear. Does not every thief repent of robbery when he is convicted and sent to jail? Does not every murderer repent of his crime when he stands under the fatal tree? Spurgeon continues, this is real penitence. When the man given glory, when, when, when the man gives glory to the justice of God, even though it condemns him. Oh, my hearer. Do you thus repent? Is sin really sinful to you? Do you see its desert of hell? If not, your repentance needs to be repented of. It's pretty stout. If you'll remember when, when, when uh, Joseph was tempted, he said, I cannot... This is pre-Ten Commandments, which is interesting. Joseph said, I cannot sin, when Mrs. Potiphar was putting the move on him, I cannot sin against my God. I cannot, I cannot do this thing. I can't sin 
against God. In other words, when we realize that our actions affect more than just you know our spouse or our friends or those around us, but there's a God who is in the sky who is watching us and is keeping an account of everything. True repentance is when we say against you and you only. That's what David said with Bathsheba. Against you and you only. David had murdered Uriah, committed adultery with Bathsheba, wronged everybody in his kingdom, and yet he looked at God and he said, against you and you only have I sinned. And he threw himself on the mercy of God. And God was merciful to him. In other words, here we have people who have the same opportunity and yet harden their heart and say, no, I'm going to blaspheme. I'm going to rebel against. Because the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting. Why don't you stand with me right now? Verses 12 through 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Wow. For they are spirits of demons, demonic spirits, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, he says. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. We'll talk about that next time. I just want to remind you, Beloved, God is in control. All of this will come to a climactic end. And I tell you, the only safe place to be is in the covenant relationship with Almighty God through the blood of the Lamb, through the Son of the living God, through the sacrifice of Calvary, the the safety, the preservation, the wholeness. Listen, this is a epic, cosmic story. This is not just Sunday school flannel graph, white Jesus in a white robe with a blue sash and pretty white teeth. This is not just those stories. This is a story of a Savior crucified from before. The plan was in place from before the foundation of the world. And God will wrap it up in His timing And the only safe place to be is in that covenant relationship. New creations in Christ Jesus who will be part of a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? It's the only safe place to be. Live for God now because God's forever. All this stuff is all temporary, but a relationship with Him is forever. Oh, there's so much to go in this book. We're getting to some awesome stuff. Can you just lift your hands? Father, thank you so much for your word. Some of these words are difficult, Lord, diving into these these stories and these 
these difficult words, but God, you said there's a blessing as we go into the book of Revelation. Part of it is our eyes are open to the cosmic struggle, to the otherworldliness of what we are involved in, Father. It's beyond the veil of the temporal. There is a supernatural, spiritual world all around us, God, out of which this physical world came, Father. And I pray, God, that you would just inspire us once again to live for you and to live for you hard, to trust you with all of our heart, Lord, to lean on you with all of our understanding, not trust in our own ways, but lean, to lean on you in Jesus' name. Let's just worship here as we go. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.